Welcome. Good morning. And thank you for being here with us this morning. This morning is, is an interesting morning. It's a special morning. If, if, you, if you keep an eye on the Christian calendar, there's actually something very significant to be celebrated this morning. I don't know if you guys know it. Um, a little while ago, we celebrated Easter. Easter weekend. Um, in Jewish culture, it was Passover. It was the time that they celebrated that God would pass over their houses and not take their firstborn ch children and then lead them out of slavery in Egypt. That was the first Passover. Then there was a Passover where Jesus paid the price for our sin and we could go through his blood and into relationship with him. We celebrated that just minutes ago. Then, 40 days after that, there is what's called Ascension Day. That was the 10th of May, two Thursdays ago, um, where Jesus said to his spent 40 days after his resurrection, he um, spent it just telling people about the kingdom of God, just encouraging his disciples and saying, hey, what you've been holding on to is the truth. And you are about to start something amazing. And then he said bye-bye to them, and he went to heaven. He ascended to heaven on the 40th day after that Easter or Passover. Today is 50 days. I'm like, and you're going, why are the mathematics lesson, right? I can also tell you that it's seven Sundays after Passover. What's significant about that? Well, today is the day of Pentecost. It's the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people in the upper room, praying together in unity, waiting for the gift that Jesus had for them. And Jesus had promised this gift over and over and over again. In Acts 1 and verse 8, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and, he, and, sorry, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In John 14, verses 15 and 16, it's here in my Bible, I promise. It says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, that word advocate means a few things. It means the counselor, the encourager, the comforter. It says, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all, into all truth. And let's end it there. So Jesus makes this promise before he ascends into heaven. And 10 days later, the disciples go back into Jerusalem and they are waiting in anticipation. What is God going to do here? And the next moment, as they're praying, there's a mighty rushing wind. There is like fire that falls on each and every one of them praying there. And in the next moment, they start praising God in all kinds of languages. Now, like I said, Pentecost was actually a, a Jewish festival. 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 That was my Afrikaans coming out. I'm sorry. It jumps out every now and then. Uh, it was a Jewish festival. There we go. That was celebrated every year. Because 
after the first Passover, where Egypt was led out of Egypt, not Egypt, Israel was led out of Egypt. 50 days later, they arrived at Mount Sinai, and God gave them the law and made them into a people who would follow God. It's interesting that 50 days after a very, very special Passover, God gives another gift that will make people into a different kind of nation. And he will, he will empower them, empower them to take his kingdom forward into all the world. Now, as I said, everybody has pilgrimaged to Jerusalem. There's a big crowd of people all over, from all over the world. All Jewish, well, they've come to the temple to celebrate with everyone else. And suddenly there's this rushing wind and there's this fire and everybody's like, what's going on? And so it's kind of like the N1 on a Monday morning when um, somebody crashed on the other side, you know, where people kind of break their necks to see what's going on. It's that, but it's traffic 2,000 years ago and everybody was on their feet. Okay, so instead of just looking around, everybody turned around and ran and had a go, go had a, went to have a look at what was going on. And here the disciples walking out and they are suddenly speaking in all kinds of languages. They are telling people from all over the world in their language the wonderful things that God has done in them. And these guys are amazed. They're saying, how can this be? All these people are from Galilee, and yet they're speaking in our native languages. We're from all over the world, and we hear them speaking our languages. This makes no sense. I love this, because they, 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 they knew how to precursor things. They say, what can this mean? Now, let's continue the history lesson. Before Jesus, between the book of Malachi, which is the end of the Old Testament, and Jesus coming, there was this 400-year period where the people of Israel had no prophets. There was no prophecy spoken. There was no guidance from God. There was no leading from God. There was oppression. There was loss. And there was lots of discouragement. And then Jesus came, and he started proclaiming his kingdom. And suddenly, a flicker of hope came. And so it's very important that the people asked, what can this mean? Now, this man named Peter steps forward. And he points the people to a prophecy in the book of Joel that says, in the last days, God says, he will, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And they will prophesy. They will see visions and do wonders. All he's saying is, the silence is over. God wants to speak to his people. God wants to engage with his people. He wants to give them a gift that'll comfort them, that'll draw them in, that'll give them the strength that they need to take his kingdom into all the world. He ends it off by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
He then relates the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the first gospel presentation by the first preacher in the first church. Isn't that cool? And so the day of Pentecost is, yes, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. And we get, we get to be empowered by God because of that. But an equally significant day is the start of church. The start of this Jesus movement that's going to change the world forever. Acts 2 verses 37 to 39 says the following. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. Uh, that far away can also be translated as to those far in the future. That's us now. You know, we get included in these things. Oh, isn't that cool? All who have been called by the Lord our God. And then, as we skip down to verse 41, it says, those who, believed that Peter, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. It's a good start to the church, isn't it? It's interesting how God uses the church. But it's interest, even more interesting who God uses in the church. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is, is poured out, and the disciples become witnesses to all nations. And immediately, Acts 1.8 starts to work out, where they've been empowered to be his witnesses. And immediately, they didn't even have to leave home. They got to speak to people from Jerusalem, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay? But day one, Jesus shows, or Jesus had already shown, but day one, it kind of puts the stamp on, this is how church works. Go and tell people the good news, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that in him you have life and freedom. Be baptized, expect the Holy Spirit, and take the kingdom forward. That's the example of the church, isn't it? Why the church? Well, God had big plans for the church. And Ephesians 3.10 tells us what those big plans are. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus' plan was always to use the church as the vehicle to change the world forever. problem is this vehicle has people in it. It's not the perfect vehicle, is it? Now, you probably like, blasphemy, how can you call God's vehicle not the perfect vehicle? Well, well I think even God thinks that it's, it, it runs a bit wobbly at times, you know, because he knows the people he's called into it. He knows you and me. 
And I love who God used. Peter stands up, and Peter is the guy who says, hey, this is how we go forward. Now, Peter in the Bible is one of my favorite characters because Peter is relatable. Peter's humanity shines through in everything that he does. Pretty much just saying that if, people, if Peter can make it, Vanna stands a chance. All right. Everybody's like, oh, why is he bashing on Peter? Cease, man. Peter is one of my favorite characters for, for the things he got right. One of the most important things that he got right is that in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, hey, who does, who does everybody say that I am? And, and so the people are like, hey, you seem like a prophet. And Jesus says, okay, that's what the people say, but who do you guys, the 12 closest to me, who do you guys think that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well done, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My father in heaven did. He continues to say in, verse, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he says, now I say to you that you are Peter or rock. Peter was always called, his name is actually Simon Peter. Now Simon in a lot of the cultures where Simon was from, is actually translated as skew-nose. Isn't that just a wonderful way to grow up? You know? You thought your parents laid on you some, some difficult names. In fact, I was in home affairs this week where, where a young girl was changing her name because of, and she was, she was carrying a load. She had like five or six names. And, and she, was, she was going, I can't anymore. You know, I'm this short because I'm carrying all these names. She literally made that joke. And um, here Peter has his name changed by Jesus. Jesus says, you are rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, that confession of yours, that's going to change your life. And it's on that confession that I will build my church and nothing will be able to stop it. And that's why Peter's confession is pretty much the cornerstone of what we hold on to. But as I said, I love Peter not because of his great moments. I love Peter because of all of his moments. And I thought it's a it's a good thing for us as the church to look at some of all of his moments because we have all of his moments. We might look down on him, but um, we're, we're no different. Uh, we have some Peters every now and then. Jesus calls Peter out of fishing. Jesus is walking along the beach and he says to Peter, come, follow me. When everything goes wrong, and Jesus is stuck on a cross. Peter is confused, and, and what does he do? After three years of spending with the Messiah and his friend, with Jesus, three years of the best Bible school that anybody could ever pay for, three years of Jesus plowing into his life, 
What does Peter do when everything seems wonky? He goes fishing. He goes back to the thing that Jesus said, come out of that. In fact, it says, come and I will make you fishes of men. Did he conveniently forget? How often do we follow God with everything inside of us? We're like, Lord, here I come, all of me. And then life has a speed hump. And we go, this is where I was comfortable last. Let's be honest, how much do we grow in comfortable? We don't really grow in comfortable, do we? We don't really grow in the perfect conditions. We grow in the conditions of life, in the love of God, don't we? Another thing that Peter did, Peter was the guy who walked on water. It's a massive storm raging. You have disciples in the boat. You have Jesus walking towards them on the water. Everybody's like, ah, it's a ghost. Peter's like, it's a ghost, but I think it's Jesus. Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you, walking on the water. And Jesus says, come. And he does. He walks on the water. Now, of all the things that you've ever wanted to do, isn't that one of the coolest ones? Don't you think that'll build your faith just a little? And Peter does. He walks on the water and he comes toward Jesus. But at one stage, he stops focusing on Jesus and he sees the wind and he sees the waves and he probably hears all the guys going, <gasps> and he gets caught up in, <gasps> and he starts to sink. But Jesus is there. He grabs his hand and he pulls him out. How often do we walk with Jesus and amazing things happen around us? We change like we never thought we'd change. Things start happening around us that we never thought would have changed. Habits change, people change, relationships come right. And you hear somebody in the background going, oh! Suddenly we look at us and the circumstances and the things and we lose focus on Jesus, don't we? This is why Peter is the best parallel for the church. Jesus makes this wonderful confession of who Jesus is. It's like, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Matthew 16. And you can go and count it literally eight verses later. I wanted to count the words, but I thought that might be a bit much. All right. Eight verses later, it is that far in my Bible. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Isn't like, woo, that's a big explosion at the bottom there. That's a big way to fall where Jesus just said, Peter, you are a rock and on your confession, I'm going to build my church. Get behind me, Satan. Why get behind me, Satan? Because Peter was like, Jesus, I like your plan. It has some potential, but I'll be honest, I have a better plan. In fact, your, you know what? Your plan is difficult, dude. 
like people dying and you know confusion and I mean criminals death Jesus I'm not sure about that I've got a plan Jesus I will protect you me this guy Peter check me out have you ever told God that you have a plan Maybe one or two of us. You know some people. <laughs> Lord, I have this amazing plan. Will you bless it? By the way, I'm starting in an hour. You need to bless this quickly. Hint, hint, wink, wink. How often do we need to hear Jesus saying, Get behind me, Satan? But we don't. We don't listen out for that voice. In fact, we kind of tune that voice out. We're like, no, but this is my plan. It's such a pretty plan. It has, it has an intro. It has four points. It has a conclusion. I mean, in my head, people are applauding at the end. It's kind of what Peter thought when he was making this plan. Sometimes we think we know better than God, but we don't. Another time he tried to defend Jesus. Jesus is, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, he's about to be taken uh, into custody. Peter rips out his sword. And he says, Jesus, I will defend you. And I have some questions about this thing. So, if you have a sword, you pull out a sword. You try to defend Jesus. How do you only cut off an ear? How good are you with the sword? I never thought about this until I like, really got in. I'm like, if you only hit an ear on a whole human being, maybe you're a little overconfident in your abilities. You know, slightly. Maybe Van is a little overconfident in his abilities. Maybe sometimes... We jump into things and we defend Jesus and our faith. And how can that person say that? And we're trying to defend God. And God's going, why, dude? I'm big enough. I'm going to fight my own battles. You concentrate on what I've given you to do. And I'll concentrate on being me. How many times has a Christian chewed off the ear of someone who said something that's slightly not according to his theology. Hey. How many times have you had your ear chewed off by some Christian who reckons that you're wrong, this is right. Go read your Bible. I'm like, I don't see it in the Bible. I'm just, you know, putting it out there. Peter had lots of highs. And Peter had lots of lows. These are just some of my favorites. Okay, But I think Peter's lowest moment came the day that, that Jesus was, was taken. That Jesus, well, Jesus was betrayed. He gave up his life. He, he wasn't caught out. He, he wasn't caught unawares. But here Peter is. And moments before Jesus was, was betrayed, Peter and Jesus having a conversation, and Peter says, Jesus, I will, 
I will never leave you. You can count on me. I'm your guy. In fact, I'll go to prison, prison for you. And Jesus is like, I'm not so sure about that. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but Peter's lowest low comes when he betrays Jesus on that night or denies Jesus. The two is kind of interchangeable, aren't they? When he denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Peter is asked by a slave girl. It's the Bible's way of saying a nobody. Weren't you hanging out with Jesus and those guys? Peter says, no, no, I don't know them at all. You know, that's the way to stand up for your faith, isn't it? No, I don't know them at all. He walks away and he he finds another fire to stand close to. And another slave girl asks him, I'm convinced I've seen you before. Weren't you hanging out with Jesus, the guy that's like, that they're all screaming and shouting about over there? Nope. No, I don't know him. And a third time, Peter denied Jesus. And he went away, and the Bible says, he went away weeping bitterly. He suddenly realized what he had done. He suddenly realized that he's no different than Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Because three times in a very, very short space of time, he'd betrayed Jesus. Peter knew he failed. He failed himself. He failed his oath. He failed his friend. He failed the Messiah for crying out, God, (laughs) aloud. All right. He went away broken. We often fail Jesus. We fail ourselves. We fail all our good intentions. We fail our friends and we fail our families. And it breaks something inside of us, doesn't it? And here's where it's very important to look at Peter's story. Because Peter's story doesn't just mirror the church's story. It mirrors my story. It mirrors your story. One of my favorite parts of all this is that Jesus went and he found Peter again. Jesus got up out of the grave to go and find Peter again. Jesus got up out of the grave to go and find each and every one of us again. Shame over our past, over our failures, over our sin. It'll haunt us. It'll inhibit us. It'll hamstring us. And that's just the ammunition that the enemy of your soul wants. Because he'll remind you of it over and over and over again. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to rub your failure in your face. So that you think, I am nothing, I am worth nothing, where do I go from here? But Jesus is not offended by our failures. Jesus is not offended by the people who deny him. Jesus is not offended by the people who betray him. In fact, he prays for us in our weakness. 
John 17, verse 15. This is where Jesus is praying on the, on the Mount of Olives moments before he's betrayed. And he said, he prays to God, and he's, he's praying for his disciples, but he's praying for the church today as well, where he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This is Jesus praying for us that our faith will not fail. It sounds very similar to what Jesus prayed for Peter. In Luke 22, this is verses 32 and 31 and 32, sorry. Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each one of you like wheat. But I have pleaded for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. Kind of sounds similar, doesn't it? But see, there's, there's not just a hope that your, I hope, I pray that your faith doesn't fail you. There's even a plan of redemption in there. And here it comes. So when you have repented and turned, Jesus knew that we were going to mess up. When you have repented and turned, strengthen your brothers. Moments after this, Jesus is handed over betrayed, denied, and all of that. And Peter's world kind of caves in. See, Jesus does more than just pray for Peter. After he's broken, after he said to him, you know what, you're going to have a tough time, but I'm going to find you on the other side of it. In fact, I'm calling you through it. Jesus goes and he finds him on the beach. What's Peter doing? Well, he's catching fish because that's what he knows what to do. Just a, a little thing again. Peter's catching fish all night and he has caught nothing. I not only have questions about Peter's knife skills, I also have questions about his fishing skills. All right, I'm no fisherman, but you know, you should have caught something in a whole night. But Jesus comes on the beach. And he looks out over at them and he says, hey, you guys caught any fish? And they're like, no, nothing all night. And Jesus is like, just put the net in the other side. Because in my mind, that's how it happened, okay? And they're like, okay, well, whatever, one more time. And they stick the net over into the other side and immediately pull this net up. And the net is so heavy that they can't even get all the fish into the boat. Peter realizes that that's not just any man standing there on the beach. That's Jesus. Puts on his coat, jumps in the water, swims towards shore to find Jesus there. And they pull out 153 fish in one go. It's just saying Jesus knows something about catching fish, I guess. But John 21 relates this to us. John 21 from verse 15. It says, oh, the cool thing is Jesus didn't just get them on the shore. He made them breakfast. I need Jesus to make me breakfast. You know, This guy's lucky. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. 
you know I love you? Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time Jesus asked him, do you think Jesus is doubting him? Or do you think Jesus is building something in him? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times is Jesus checking his heart? A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. <laughs> Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus says to him. Like I said, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus restores Peter three times with the, do you love me? Jesus ends off by saying, Peter, feed my sheep. It's kind of very similar to the prayer that Jesus prayed for him. How did Jesus end that prayer? He said, strengthen your brothers. When you're at the end of this, strengthen your brothers. What's Jesus saying? You're at the end of this. Feed my sheep. Pretty much saying to him and to us that nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Your hurt, your pain, your disappointment, your discouragement, all those things that we're like, I've wasted this. I've wasted that. Now I'm here. What now? What about all that time? We have an amazing God that says, I will use anything to your advantage. Why? Because you are my child and I love you. Then if we read two verses later, the last thing Jesus says to Peter is follow me. The first things Jesus said to Peter was come, follow me. The last thing Jesus ever says to Peter is come, follow me. It's the very command that he started with. He is fully restored. I want to say that's the very command Jesus says to us on the other side of any of our failures. Come, follow me. It's the command he gives us at the start of our journey. Come, follow me. It's the command he gives us when we've done well. Come, follow me. It's the command that he gives us when we're flat on our face. Come. Follow me. I said earlier that Jesus prays for us. Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25. This praying hasn't stopped. He didn't just pray one prayer. It says, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save, and they left this out, completely those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. What does he intercede about? That our faith would not fail us. 
that we would not be defined by what we've done wrong, by what, how we've messed up, but that we would be defined by our following. And that's what Jesus prayed for Peter, that we today, Vanna today, doesn't define Peter by all the times he's messed up, but that I go and read on in the book of Acts and see the ministry that Peter had, that I see what a powerful weapon of God Peter was, and go, if Peter has a chance, Vanna has a chance. Peter's following defined his life. Jesus restores us when we repent. Jesus redeems our failures when we point them to him. He prays for us. He prays for us that we might take the opportunities to repent as they come by. And when we take that opportunity, when we, we take up his invitation, he's right there to say, come, follow me. Failures are horrible. Failures are humbling. Failures are hurtful, but they're not the end. Jesus paid the price for that. We celebrated that moments ago. At the end of every, every failure, in fact, I want to say at the start of our failure, Jesus is standing on the other side saying, come, follow me. Because he transforms whatever we give him into strength for his kingdom. This morning, I, actually a couple of days ago, I had the sense that what we need to hear is Christ saying to us, come, follow me. And I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. But the truth is that he keeps calling us day after day after day. Come, follow me. So this morning, if, you are, if your strength has failed you, if you feel that you are at the end of the rope, maybe you are at the end of a failure, maybe you are in the middle of a failure, maybe you just feel like a failure, I want to say to you that Jesus stands here this morning, he says, come, follow me. There's nothing that I can't help you through. So if that's you this morning, will you stand with me? And I'd just love to pray with you. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. If you need Jesus, if you need to hear Jesus' voice this morning saying, come, follow me, stand, and let's pray together. I want to include myself in this prayer. Will you repeat after me? Father God, I stand here this morning and I lay my life before you. Lord, this morning I have heard your son say, come, follow me. Lord, help me 
follow you. To become an accurate representation of who you are. Lord God, will you enter my life? Will you enter my failures? Or will you enter my successes? And turn everything to your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, I thank you that this morning is going to be a significant morning in people's lives. Lord, where we celebrate that your Holy Spirit came and changed the world forever. Lord, I thank you that we can just rest in that and know that we get to be a part of that change. We get to be a part of what you are doing in our generation, what you are doing in, in our town, in our village, in our family in our lives. Lord, as we hand over to you, I know that this is not a magic spell. It is not the snap of a finger to make everything go right, Lord. But I know that it's the start to a journey that'll change us forever, change us for the best. Because you are the best and you have given us your best. Lord, and you want to see your best in us and for us for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest in that, that we might know that we know that you are for us. I thank you, Lord, for the peace that you bring. I thank you, Lord, for the breakthroughs you bring in hearts and lives. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being with us this morning. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. I want to pray you out with God's blessing. We thank you, Lord, for everybody here this morning. We pray your blessing on each and every one of them. Lord, I thank you that we can go out and be accurate representations of you in everything that we do. Not because we're so cute, but because we have you living inside of us, Lord changing us and making us a little bit more like your son on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a fantastic week.